electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer coming to you live from various locations. We are coming off the biggest drop of the month, adding to some losses as we still get over the collapse of that oil May contract. The Senate may pass a small business expansion today. We got Netflix and Texan reporting tonight. But, Jim, uh, one of the big stories is going to be Georgia's attempt to reopen, really starting on Friday. I think this is the biggest story there is. I mean, here you've got a governor who just says it's time, a governor who doesn't want to see all these businesses destroyed, Uh, a person who has said, look, we've got the baseline and we know what can go wrong. We have the uh, ability to handle it medically. And initially when I saw this, Carl, I said, this man, this governor is a reckless fellow. The more I read his excellent speech yesterday and the more I realized that the stakes are so high for so many people, I am rooting for this man. I think he's doing it in a way that makes me feel like if you're going to open it, open it this way. I wanted to wait for the vaccines. I wanted to wait for when we got serologists to find out who's got the antibodies. They're not waiting because it's not working to wait. So it may seem ill-advised to many people, but when you actually drill down to the speech that he gave yesterday, I have to tell you, I was impressed. Mm -hmm. And I know that everything's become politicized, but Carl, this is a man who's feeling for the small business people and recognizes they're about to be done. Yeah. Uh, Scott Gottlieb on Squawk this morning, Jim, uh, did say that to him, it looked like they picked the businesses that were the most at risk and decided to open them first. But whether or not uh, they're doing this the exact right way, you still have Tennessee, South Carolina, Vermont, Montana, Texas, Michigan in the next couple of weeks. That's 20 percent of GDP not opening fully, but getting that first door opened. I think there's also a a wrap that's based in some uh, Santa Clara studies some Stanford studies, which says that far more people have had it already. Uh, I would like to think that uh, that theory is true. That's a theory which says, by the way, that while this is certainly lethal and contagious, uh, a lot of people have gone through it and they're going to get involved and not have a problem. I know uh, when I went through uh, with Matt Maddox, what's going on at Wynn, he has a very good plan to open up Wynn, which, of course, is the uh, giant casino. And the more I think about these these people, Carl, what they're really saying is, okay. Economic catastrophe is not uh, something that we should allow in this country. Now, I wish that we had uh, what they're going on in Hong Kong. It's a small city, but they make it very easy to, to um, find everybody and, and, and do a lot of contact tracing. We don't have a lot of contact. We have no contact tracing. But I am convinced that what we do have is a better medical system. I am not trying to be a Yahoo here. I am just saying if you just step back from the political. 
and you just look at what this what's going on at these states, what they're saying is we could have an economic wipeout. It's not that much different from what Howard Schultz said just now to Andrew. Yeah, He's yeah, saying it could be, yeah. it's an unacceptable economic wipeout. If we don't have the federal money and we don't have the testing, well, you know what? I think George is saying we got to give it a shot. I don't think that's as reckless as I thought. Maybe what's reckless is letting every small business person go out of business who didn't get the PPP. And I think that that would be mm-hmm. tragic in its own right. All right. So two things on that front, Jim. Uh, Schumer's on CNN this morning, says he believes the Senate will pass this expansion of the loan program today. And it will include, he said, uh, some kind of national testing strategy. The other element to what you're talking about is LabCorp uh, and this new at-home test which is now on their website. It's called the Pixel. It's a swab test. It's 119 bucks. It's going to go to healthcare workers first, but it will go to consumers in the coming weeks. Those two things, can they uh, make this tightrope walk that we're going to see states do in the coming weeks a little bit easier? If they can produce in volume, I mean, one of the things we keep seeing is, is that you'll get uh, millions of tests will be provided by Thermo Fisher and millions by Roche. And then when you get down to it, they're just not ready or else it would filter down to us. Now, I know sometimes you can uh, someone will say, you know what, Jim, I don't know what you're talking about. I can get tested five different ways. Well, I tried to get tested this weekend. Why? Well, I wanted to see my wife and uh, I couldn't find a place. And she couldn't find a place. I would love the LabCorp situation, but can they make it? In, can they make it in scale? And, and yes, it would be good. We could test every day. You do have to test every day because of the incredibly uh, evil way that this thing spreads. Uh, and, and because you could be at a restaurant at table three, Dr. Brilliant, thank you for the, actually a guy named Dr. Brilliant. Yes, he's the guy who uh, basically wrote Contagion and Conquered Smallbox. But you can be in, at table three and someone at table one could have it and the air conditioner blow it to table three. So, I mean, it's just so easy to get. Uh, but when you read what George is doing, you got to wear a mask. You got to have social distancing. I know if you have masks with the masseuse, does it really matter? Isn't that just uh, courting danger? I think what what's going on in this country right now is there's just two different dangers that are being courted. There's the danger that just says, look, w- the world is the United States is shutting down and that's just not healthy. And it could lead to economic collapse, social unrest. And then there's another side which just says, listen, we got to have a plan to get open and we're going to get a lab court thing. And you know, we're going to have new, we're going to have the great scientists of the world come up with something. So you better be ready for the good stuff. I wish it weren't so political because I really do think that when you look back, say in the thirties in Europe, you say, why didn't they see that there was social unrest? What were they thinking? All these businesses were closing. (laughs) Couldn't they tell? But somehow that's become a right wing argument. Um, Historically, it's left wing argument. So I say maybe it's a neither left nor right. It's about the notion of the center holding. And if indeed we have a good enough structure with medical that is ready, go for it. Just go for it. Yeah. So does the market then, Jim, want these reopenings to go? Or are they worried that if we do it too soon, it uh, creates longer term uncertainty beyond Q2? I think that there have been a view that the so-called W... Uh, would be a dramatic and terrible thing that if we had to close, we closed and then reopen, it failed. Uh, it, it, it could be catastrophic. And all I can say is catastrophic to who? Catastrophic to what? 
we got a catastrophic situation going on right now. When you, you look at the, how many small businesses didn't get the loan that wanted the loan, well, we're back to where we thought uh, before they came up with this program, where we kind of felt that, it, it, there, that everyone would have a, a shot. And it turned out that a lot of businesses didn't get it. So I, I'm in a camp which just says we've got to try something. We have to. And if that makes me into a right-wing lunatic, then so be it. I worry about social Mm -hmm. unrest. I worry about what's happened in Europe in the 20s and 30s. And I don't and I worried about what happened in our country in the 30s. We don't want that. So those who think that this is just ludicrous and it's a right-wing plot to be able to do something, go read some history. Go read what happened in the 30s, and you will say, why didn't they open bid? Why didn't they give those businesses money? Those were the shopkeepers that ended up going with fascism. So I'm not, I'm not trying to overstate the case. I'm just trying to say, listen, go back and read the books. I've been reading the books at night. Yeah. And it is frightening how close, how they could have saved those businesses, and you would not have had fascism. And they can say, well, listen, Jim, that is just ludicrous. Is it really, Carl? Is it ludicrous? Who ever thought of a world like this? Everybody's out of yeah, business. I mean, you'd like to think it was. Yeah. You'd like to think it was, but uh, th- there's a lot of vulnerability uh, to social structure right now. Uh, a big uh, a big thing that's on the line regarding these openings is the price of oil, as you were talking about with Joe a moment ago. We're now watching the June contract uh, down to 17, and the president did address this at the presser last night. Take a listen. Much of it has to do with short sellers. Much of it has to do, if you look... A month into the future, I think it's at 25 or $28 a barrel. So uh, a lot of people got caught. They got caught, and uh, there are a lot of people that are not too happy because they got caught. So if you take a look at it, you'll see it's more of a financial thing than an oil situation. But uh, because you take, I believe, in a month or so, in other words, go a little bit out, it's at 25 and $28 a barrel. So it's largely a financial squeeze, and they did get squeezed. Very true. I mean, it's the opposite of a short squeeze. Right. Uh, it's interesting that the USO has been halted. A lot of people feel the USO, yeah, which is a, that is a, a commodity pool that, that may, have, may have been uh, people who did get caught. Uh, financial people, is, it, the day before a contract is almost all financial people. I, I was talking to the head of the largest tanker company in the world. Not a single tanker available for oil. Uh, there was people who just stepped aside and let these people... Uh, just get crushed. But we need to know far more. I do know. But you're talking about, you, you, you know, you're, you're you know, there's a thousand a thousand uh, barrels in, in a contract and yet a hundred thousand contracts. So there really was a lot of paper oil involved. But typically these uh, the non-financials know to roll things over. Uh, these were a lot of rookies that got killed. There were a lot, a lot of rookies, Carl, came in and said, you know what, I've got to, I, this thing can't go this low. Uh, and I was watching mm-hmm. Brian. I think the most, you know what you want, what was the barometer? Watching Brian Sullivan. Brian watches oil better than anyone on our network. And near the end of the day, I was thinking, will you take the shoelaces away from that guy? I mean, holy cow, he was really showing it. But this is a highly emotional moment. And oil down yeah. $37, that's not, that's not supposed to happen. And it happened. No, it but was other people. Otherworldly yesterday, Jim. Yeah, and we're watching the tanker companies as well. Obviously, uh, double digit gains. The president did say 
uh, up to 75 million barrels in the SPR, considering banning imports from Saudi. How, how much of a difference would those two things no, make? No, and it's all COVID. Uh, I had Rusty Brazil one. He's the best. He predicted last Friday when I said you should get out of the U.S. He said, Jim, you got to know there's going to be Armageddon on Monday. And I said, like, okay, Armageddon. How many people say Armageddon is like, well, you're going to see uh, Eli Lilly go from 150 to 145. No, Armageddon. Well, we had that's Armageddon. And, and I think that you're not going to see anything um, that tells me that there's any real demand here. And that's the real problem because of COVID. It, not a lot of people driving. Uh, not the airlines couldn't use it. The cruise ships, well, geez, do they not? I mean, unless the cruise ships want to fill their cruise ships, you know, the princess, whatever, fill it there. I'm being facetious. I really feel that there's no place. And if there's no place, if there's not a single two million barrel tanker, uh, wow. You, you know, when there was a time when I was trying to find a place to get uh, married, uh, Nordic American Tanker offered me a tanker to get married. You said it would be great for dancing. Uh, and I found myself thinking, is, is he serious? But the rates at that point were $10,000. I could have made a killing. But now, obviously, more than 10 times that. Yeah, that's a, that's a different kind of booze cruise right there, Jim. Yeah, that's not a booze uh, cruise. A that's, a, break. that's a crude cruise. <laughs> Uh, We'll take a quick break here. A lot more to get to this morning, including some calls on Lilly, as Jim mentions, on Amazon, on Southwest. We'll talk to James Quincy of Coke in the next few minutes. Don't go anywhere. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. A lot of airline news today as Treasury disburses some $3 billion to some smaller airlines. Let's get to our Phil LeBeau, who has a very special guest. Hey, Phil. Hi, Carl. Let's bring in Robin Hayes, CEO of JetBlue, joining us from JetBlue's offices in New York. Uh, Good morning, Robin. Um, Give us an assessment of the market right now. I know it's changing day to day, but do you think we've hit a bottom as far as the industry right now when it comes to demand? And when do you think we might start to see some improvement, even modest improvement? Well, uh, good morning, Phil. It's uh, great to uh, be with you. Hope everyone is uh, safe and well. Uh, I think, um, look, we, we've hit the bottom. Uh, we're bumping along the bottom. We don't really see much uh, yet uh, as, uh, by way of uh, a change to that. Uh, you know, um, during the month of April, we're flying about 10 to 15% of our uh, schedule that we'd normally fly. I see, this, I see a similar sort of pattern for, for May and probably into June as well. We're hunkered down right now and we're sending it out. Robin, you guys are in the midst of finalizing a payroll grant from the Treasury Department. Will you also be applying for a loan through the Treasury Department as well from that other bucket of $25 billion? 
Sure, no, great uh, question, Phil. Uh, yeah, uh, hopefully we'll uh, have all the I's dotted and T's crossed uh, today on the uh, payroll support program. Uh, on the loans, you know, um, we've got time to make that decision. Uh, applications have to be in by the end of April. Uh, you know, I, I see very uh, nothing lost really by uh, uh, putting that application in. Then we'll have some months to uh, decide if it's something we want to then uh, borrow uh, against or not. I know you said that you expect it to be pretty weak demand, at least through May, maybe into June as well. Um, if we do right. not see demand come back, let's say by September, will you have to cut payroll? Will you have to cut jobs in the fall? Well, right now we're, f we're focused on, on being hunkered, you know, hunkered down. Uh, there's a lot of different recovery options out there. None of us really know. This is unprecedented. Uh, we've never seen anything about like this before. There's economic factors at play. Um, you know, there's, there's uh, getting uh, people's confidence in traveling again. Uh, you know, we have a lot to do. We've, there's a lot of um, costs that we've taken out of our business already. Uh, there's lots of voluntary things that we can do. At the end of the day, the airlines are going to be an important part of getting the economy going when the time comes. And we want to make sure here at JetBlue we're here to do that. That was really the expectation uh, behind the CARES Act when the airlines were given this uh, great support by the uh, administration. All right, uh, Robin, Jim Kramer, first I want to say I love flying JetBlue. I love, love, love to see you back on JetBlue, Jim, I well, hope. Well, the way you would long. do that is to do the same things you always do with service, is if to make sure that the people who are sitting next to me are tested, that I'm tested, so that everybody wears masks, even if we're tested, that everything is wiped down every second, and maybe we come up, I don't know, ultraviolet light, maybe we come up with something, maybe a quick test that shows whether we have it, because the guy who does, you can really charge whatever you want, because we want to go away. Right, well, I think, um, you know, Jim, you remember how much changed our business after 9-11 with the... Uh, locked cockpit doors, the uh, importance role of security. So I definitely think we're, we're going to see some things here change for good. Uh, we're already seeing uh, the way airplanes are cleaned and sterilized has uh, changed. Um, you know, this uh, week we have uh, asked customers to uh, wear masks when they uh, fly with us. Uh, we're keeping the middle seat free. We're creating buffers on the airplane. Uh, we've already invested in HEPA filters to have the best quality air on board the airplane. I think these quality, these filters are uh, only going to uh, improve. And, um, you know, I'm sure there'll be other measures that uh, will come out. I think the important thing that as an industry, whether it's here in the U.S. or around the world, we try to operate to a common set of standards. And when we are back up and running, if countries have different rules and you're flying from one country to the next and there's different expectations about travel, it's going to be very confusing for people. So I think as an industry, we have to work with governments, we have to work with health agencies around the world to try and create a, uh, a single set of standards as best we can. Well, I, look, I, far be it for me to disagree with you. You're an airline person, but I, I also happen to fly, fly uh, United Arab Emirates. And if I'm going to take a plane right now, it'll be Emirates, because they are pretty much trying to assure you uh, with testing, with everything. I mean, I don't, they have, don't have contract casing like you have when you go to Hong Kong, but I, I don't want this, there to be a standard that JetBlue lives by. I want there to be a standard, and JetBlue lives above that standard so that I feel more comfortable. I don't trust any standard of an industry that needed the government. Uh, if you could offer us something that told us that the air is good, that you've flown 
a million miles and no one's gotten sick. Robin, we're game on. We'll fly that airline. This is not a commodity. JetBlue prides itself on not being a commodity. Give us something that tells us we're safe and you're going to be booked up. Now, I I couldn't agree with you more, Jim. Uh, But, of course, it's not just getting on the airplane, right? It's when you come to the airport. As airports get busy again, um, you're going to be mixing in lobbies and foyers and security lines with other people. And so, again, I think there's a national debate around testing. It's an important conversation. Uh, And I think this is why testing is so important, um, so that people know before they they fly. Yes, of course, you know, we can... um, you, You may see the rollout of testing and other things at airports, but... But again, the, the more that's done ahead of that, um, uh, sort of uh, before you kind of even get in the car or get on the train to go to the airport, the, the better that, that is. But you will see, I believe, over the coming months, the industry, whether it's the airlines, the hotels, the whole travel industry is hurting, and we need to come together to, to kind of really reassure customers the steps we're taking to keep them. And also our crew members, our employees, our employees are essential workers in this. They're coming to work every day. You know, they're flying medical professionals around the country, equipment. We've got to take care of them as well. A lot of them don't want to fly. Um, and it's important for the confidence in the system uh, that they also feel reassured and they feel that we're doing everything we can uh, to keep them safe. Hey, Robin, it's Carl. Um, you know, Wall Street's trying to make some choices here, uh, parsing the good from the bad in terms of stock selection. The general thesis is when recovery comes, it's going to be leisure over business and domestic over international. Does that sound directionally right to you? I think it sounds directionally right. You know, again, none of us really know. This is uh, unprecedented. I said that earlier. I do think there will be a tendency for people to want to stay close to home. So I think, you know, to begin with, people are going to rather drive than fly. Uh, People are going to rather fly domestically than than internationally. It might be international markets closer to the U.S. uh, are the ones that recover first. You know, there is a concern that people have about, well, if things um, uh, change and I get stuck, how will I get home? Uh, and so I think, you know, these things will sort of uh, evolve over time. But, but I think the, uh, you know, the travel industry to, can, can come together and really kind of uh, reassure people when the time is right, when they're ready, uh, that we're ready. I do think there's such a pent-up demand for travel, for people to visit friends and family again, to, to, to go on vacation. Uh, there'll be some great deals around when this is over. And so for those people that feel ready to take advantage of it, uh, airlines like JetBlue uh, will be there to uh, uh, help them get them on their way. Yeah. Uh, and to that point, uh, International Air Transport Association, uh, IATA, had a survey which uh, dropped today. They did find that about 40 percent of respondents would want to wait six months or more after lockdowns lifted. I wonder, is, is that number surprising to you at all, 40 percent wanting to wait six months? No, it's not. And I, uh, it's not surprising. And there'll be other surveys and there'll be different numbers. I mean, I think that... Um, Right now, I think a lot of people are taking it a day, a week, a month at a time. Uh, let's see what happens. You know, I do think that uh, once restaurants start to open, um, I think people will start thinking about uh, traveling again. You know, even if you're comfortable getting on an airplane, uh, if the destination you're going is not open for, for business, then again, that's going to have an impact on people's um, willingness to, uh, to, to travel. So. Uh, It it could well come back slowly. I mean, at JetBlue, as I said, we're hunkered down, we're conserving cash, uh, we're flying uh, 10 to 15 percent of our normal flights. Uh, We went into this with a strong liquidity position. So, you know, we're able to sit it out uh, for as long as we need to sit it out. 
uh, for things to come back. Robin, this is Phil again. You've got a slew of Airbus A220s that you are scheduled to start uh, receiving. Uh, I know originally the schedule was for later this year, but over the next several years, any discussion or any plans to defer some of those deliveries given the state of the industry right now? Well, um, you know, fortunately, Phil, the first A220 is coming at the end of this year, uh, and then we only, we only have a few coming uh, next year. The bulk of the deliveries uh, don't really happen for uh, a couple more years. So, you know, we certainly have time to, uh, uh, to work through that. But we are keen to get into that airplane um, and use it as a replacement for uh, our 190s. You know, in terms of overall conversations around deferring airplanes, I mean, that's something that we you know, continue to discuss uh, with Airbus. They've been good partners and uh, no news today, but it's something that we're watching very carefully as we, as we uh, make sure that we protect our liquidity and balance sheet over the next year or two. You know, you guys have such a huge presence on the East Coast, especially in the Southeast. And as you see, mm-hmm. Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, all saying, look, we're going to start opening up these economies. Come to the beaches, come down here. Do you expect to see much demand near term, or do you look at that and say this is just one part of it and it's going to be a slow road in terms of getting people back on the planes? I I think we need to plan conservatively. You know, um, I think we need to, uh, right now, the focus is on uh, conserving cash, flying an essential number of flights. My sense is that's where we're going to be for the rest of the uh, quarter. Uh, And, uh, you know, we've got time to think about uh, what it like, looked like in quarter three. We have the airplanes, uh, we have the people, so we can get things ramped up here as soon as we need to. But I think right now the uh, current approach of uh, hunkering down and just flying a minimum number of flights to keep an essential air system going is the uh, right approach. And we'll see. As states start to open up, um, as demand starts to come back, you know, we will absolutely be there to uh, meet it. All right, so, Ron, let, let me play devil's advocate. Use the term essential just now. There are so many companies that believe they are essential. Uh, Howard Schultz, the man who, uh, uh, of, of great business acumen, he is saying the restaurants are essential. Uh, if you listen to the cruise ship people, they are saying their industry is essential. When you listen to the hotel industry, they're essential. What the heck makes JetBlue essential? Well, I, I, I tell you, Jim, if I look at the hundreds, of uh, thousands of uh, medical personnel that we've needed in New York over the last several weeks. Uh, We've been very proud to fly so many of them here. Uh, New York, as you know, has been on the front lines of the uh, COVID-19 outbreak. There's people who've come from all over the country, um, you know, at great personal sacrifice to them to to help out. Uh, And it's absolutely right that JetBlue and our crew members play their part to uh, support that. Uh, We will see outbreaks across the rest of the country. We will see medical uh, people, personnel, equipment need to move as those uh, some states kind of come onto the uh, downward curve and others go in a different direction. So that's uh, why our frontline crew members are doing such a, an amazing job. I mean, they're, they're heroes every day to uh, keep the system moving. And, of course, there is a requirement in the CARES Act uh, that uh, airlines in the U.S. do maintain domestic air service. So even if it's something that we didn't choose to do, it's something that we would have to do. Robin Hayes, JetBlue CEO, joining us from the company's offices in New York City. Thank you, Robin. It's been a while since we've had a chance to catch up with you and a great assessment, uh, Carl and Jim, of where not only JetBlue, but where the airline industry stands right now as it deals with uh, the coronavirus and its impact on the industry. Thanks, Phil, Jim, and uh, Carl. Happy to come back anytime and talk some more. Thank you.
Yeah, Phil, thanks for bringing that to us. Jim, it does remind me of the Susquehanna call to the, this morning where they do upgrade Southwest on that leisure right. mix, uh, but they do cut American and, and JetBlue on some uh, balance sheet concerns. Yeah, and execution concerns. And this is something, just the way our business works, Carl, in this time of, of crisis. When I saw Robin, I said, you know what? He's not ducking the situation. Uh, they could arguably be uh, on the cusp of, of something that just makes it so that they may not exist. Those of us who who've flown them, uh, I, I'm surprised you didn't take my bait. Why do I? Why are they essential? Because Carl, it would cost a fortune. It would be like that one route when you go to London and it's five thousand dollars. Or uh, Wilf and I often talk <laughs> about it. it's like, holy cow, how could it be five thousand dollars? And the answer is there's no competition. We need JetBlue because we need competition. And I was surprised that, that Robin didn't didn't default to that because uh, we won't be able to afford to go to California without many different carriers and we can still drive there but uh the the monopoly routes are too expensive for the vast majority of people yeah no we've seen um we've seen what airlines look like under uh, regulation jim uh, a lot of us are too too uh, young to remember but fares were much different in oh. a prior era Oh, boy. You can go. By the way, before Frontier went out, you could go to California and back for a penny. And, well, short-lived. <laughs> I tried to book some uh, some uh, cruises yesterday, Carl. There's a lot of cruises available in June and July. Yeah, I found one from Boston uh, up into, pu- to Nova Scotia. It was a killer. I mean, I'm sorry. I didn't did mean Did you like pull that. the trigger? Um, the, the fine print is so difficult that I felt like I, if I pulled the trigger, it just because I kind of wanted to try it. I don't necessarily think that I would get my money back as easily. Uh, Dylan Reback, who's on my team uh, for Mad Money, actually booked a cruise and is now anxiously trying to get his money back. Uh, but the cruise was such a bargain, Carl. And I was thinking, all right, so COVID, cruise. But my wife wasn't thinking like that at all. She was actually thinking that that those trade-offs were not. She said, you're positively a Georgian, for heaven's sake. She called me someone from Georgia. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, Two uh, countries. That's, knowing Lisa, that's that's something she would say. Yeah. Um, so we got this is not not turning out to be tur- turnaround Tuesday here, Jim. No, uh, there was some discussion last night. Technicians saying that uh, options expiration has been a pretty good tell on a tactical top. Would you argue with that? Um, no, I, I think that we're in earnings season now, and uh, that's what's ruling. Uh, we're going to have James Quincy on soon. Uh, but I, I, dealt, I had a conference call, an interview with IBM last night, and I didn't think the quarter was nearly that bad. And there was just one sentence which said, well, we're withdrawing our guidance. Well, of course, who knows where the world's going to be, but that software could be weaker. And that was the end. And, and I look at that company and I say, you know, you know what, I know the yield's good. Uh, but I know that this is the time when you don't want to be in a company that doesn't raise guidance when we've got companies like Kimberly Clark, where the numbers are just going to be fantastic. And there, that stock's down a dollar. That's probably a buy. So, I mean, there are two different yeah. companies. There's the companies where you can raise numbers, raise dividend, and then there's the companies where you withdraw forecasts. And a withdrawal forecast just means, regardless of the futures expiring or whatever, you just get hammered. I thought the Coca-Cola quarter was fine, but they withdrew forecasts, and the stock is down hideously. Now, someone who wants to say, you know what, Coca-Cola is going to exist 100 years from now, and I know Sarah and I feel like that, because Sarah was at some very good comments in the morning show, that, that's attractive. But to someone who just says, you know what, I don't want to buy something and have one minute where I'm going to be down, 
Well, they're thinking about what happened in the one minute that you might have bought a, uh, an oil future yesterday. And suddenly you were trying to find swimming pools to put the stuff in. I mean, it's really incredible. So I, right, I think right. the market, that demonstrated no, queen- a frailty to the market that I don't think the oil people realize what it made the rest of the market feel like. Sure. Uh, it's going to be interesting to talk to Quincy in a few moments with our Sarah Eisen. Uh, that one number, Jim, sales volume down 25 since the beginning of April suggests that we're beginning to look at pantry loading normalizing, right? That, yes. that sort of makes sense. Yes. But also um, the away from home business is half a revenue. You know, our households beginning to look at ways to make budgets go a little bit farther. Maybe that means buying one less six pack of uh, Coke a month. Right. And the convenience stores, there's not a lot of people traveling. You used to be able to go in and get one. Of, there's a wall of sodas. You can get some. And uh, obviously restaurants. Uh, serve a lot of Coca-Cola and a lot of restaurants are closed. And, uh, but it, I want to look at it another way. Something that Jim told me, I don't want to steal James's uh, great fire here, but Coke, Coca-Cola's been around for a long time and they had a terrific comeback from the Spanish flu. And you know something, maybe you have to look at it like that. That the Spanish flu, which 50 to 100 million people died, and in 1920, they ended up having record years. Uh, I searched for a pandemic that's that's analogous. I think we're starting to come to to realizing that we got something really bad going on. But Coca-Cola came back. So, yes, I agree with all the sellers that the uh, not the on premise, but the on the road is is bad. But I come back and say, does anyone have a longer term view that Coca-Cola will exist when this is over? Because if they do, if you're 20 or 15, maybe you buy Coca-Cola yielding four where it's going to be soon. So I, I guess I'm I'm of two minds. If you're looking to buy Coca-Cola today because you think it's a great bargain, it is. But if you're thinking about Coca-Cola coming out of the Spanish flu and realizing how it roared, maybe you should think about it at a certain price. Jim, it's a great way to set up uh, our Sarah Eisen, who brings in James Quincy. Morning, Sarah. Good morning, guys. Yeah, we'll get right to it. James Quincy, CEO of Coca-Cola, chairman of the company as well, joins us now from home. Good to see you, James. Thank you so much for, for joining the show. As you just heard Carl and Jim talk about... I think the big number that really pops out here is the 25% volume decline globally since the month of April. I mean, obviously the quarter showed you came from a good place, but give us some color as to what's actually happening right now around the world. Yeah, as I said, we we started the year great. January and February were very strong. We were right at the top end of our growth algorithm, building off the momentum for the last few years. It was it was really a strong start of the year. And then we've seen a sequence of companies, uh, countries, uh, go into a very similar journey, uh, kind of getting initial cases, declines in footfall in the away from home channels, lockdowns coming, really steep declines in away from home channels a stock-up phase at our home, and then a normalization and a stabilization. Um, that was mainly China in the back end in March, uh, and now it's kind of global uh, uh, in April. The, the vast majority of the world is in some form of lockdown. Uh, as they said on the intro, we, we, we have you know half the business in at home in, in round numbers and half in a way. Uh, the global volume is trending minus 25. Most of that decline is coming from the away-from-home channels. Uh, so they're trending, uh, you know, close to 50. So it, it really is a tale of two cities. Uh, and, and we see the situation stable at the moment. 
Um, but there's a long way to go to normalization. What have you seen so far? And I know it's early days, James, since you have such a good global grasp in the countries that are ahead of the U.S. in terms of the infection curve and the reopening process. What have you seen and what have you learned? Yeah, I mean, one of the great benefits of the Coke system is our ability to be literally everywhere and to learn and pass those learnings around the world and watching what we're doing. And we're really focused on managing our way through the crisis, the months, the quarters, so that we emerge stronger, as, as Jim talked about, as we always have from a global crisis, uh, make sure we emerge stronger for the long term. Uh, and so we really are passing uh, uh, those learnings around uh, from the countries. Quite clearly, as we come out of the profound lockdown phase, we see that most countries are adopting some form of graduated reopening. The exact content of which stores and which channels and exactly how in phase one versus two versus three varies a little, but we see a lot of countries uh, erring towards the same sort of phased approach cautiously, and we're right at the beginning. I think it's too early to call. You can certainly see some countries out there in the world Japan has had to uh, lock down a little harder. Singapore uh, has had to go back more into a lockdown. Uh, so I think it, we, we have to adopt an approach where an expectation of phase and also to be cognizant that there could be steps backward in some countries as the virus flares uh, up again. So this is going to be a winding path. Uh, we're going to have to manage each country. We're going to move our learnings around as a cold system. Uh, we have crisis management in the DNA and we are going to emerge stronger but each country is going to be a path and we shouldn't assume that each step forward is permanent necessarily. You said you're thinking about the long term and, and how you're going to reemerge stronger. How do you think the consumer is going to reemerge? What sort of changes are in store when it comes to e-commerce, how we're buying, what we're buying, and, and how are you going to keep those consumers that may be stocking up right now on Diet Coke that never have before in the long term? Yeah, Diacon grew in the U.S. in the last few weeks of March quite well. So, you know, in the short term, people are absolutely going to move back to the true, uh, tried and trusted brand, brands, including Diet Coke, uh, uh, the Coke brand, Coke Zero. You know, in the U.S., we've seen way more people have breakfast at home. So we've seen the, the sales of orange juice go up uh, in, the last, in the last few weeks of March as well. So you know, there are going to be some temporary effects as we go through the lockdown and into these graduated reopenings where, where different brands and different packages and different channels are going to benefit. As I said, you know, diet coke's up, juice will come back, breakfast at home. Uh, in the long run, I, the, the big structural trends will, will reassert themselves. The beverage industry will grow. Consumers will want choice. There will be both a need uh, for some premiumization, some, 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 some luxury uh, in a way in some of the channels but also affordability in the others. There's no getting away from the fact that the crisis, uh, the health crisis and the lo necessary lockdowns is going to produce a negative economic effect that's going to be with us uh, for a while. And so there are going to be a significant portion of people with less disposable income looking for affordability, uh, looking to manage their income. So we, uh, as a business system, will have to uh, offer choice, not just of brands and categories, uh, but of packages and price points uh, to a wide range uh, of, of consumers going forward. And that, that will take some time to work its way through. How disruptive has it been to your plans in, in running the business? For instance, product delays, 
advertising spending. But what's going to be different than what you had originally planned going into 2020? Most things are going to be different versus where we started the year, uh, given what's going to happen. You know, certainly on the advertising front, um, uh, we are, are very focused always on two things. The return on investment we believe we're going to get from the spend uh, and making sure the messaging for that brand uh, is not just on uh, on in sync with the brand's positioning balance, but in sync and, 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 and in tune with the consumer mood uh, with the right target. Uh, so actually, in the very short term, we have suspended uh, almost as much of the advertising as we possibly could have not already uh, committed and, and will do so through most of the lockdown phase. Uh, then as we start to see some of the reopenings, we'll, we'll re-engage as, as we're starting uh, to look to do so uh, in China. Uh, we're going to manage our marketing spend, not just cautiously from, cautiously from a financial point of view, making very sure we're investing where we can engage with consumers where it's worthwhile uh, to do so and, and, and productive uh, as an idea. So there's a lot of focus on on managing uh, the markets. Then, then the supply chain, the supply chain teams have done a fantastic job, uh, the company and the bottlers around the world to keep uh, the system moving, um, uh, whether it's the, the, the plants or the logistics and, and the sourcing of the ingredients. There have been issues um, much longer supply lines in terms of time, uh, issues of borders taking much longer. I have to say it's better now than it was uh, two or three weeks ago. So we do have um, uh, our kind of global dashboard of all the plants and, uh, and all the logistics, and it's better than it was. Um, not that there are no issues, but they're really doing a great job of keeping the supply lines open. Uh, from the ability to source ingredients all the way through to deliver to customers. James, Jim. Hey, Jim. How are you? April 2nd, 1993. It's a day called Marlboro Friday. It's a day when Marlboro realized they'd been raising price, raising price. They hit a level that was too far. And out of nowhere, they announced a 20% price cut and shocked the market. Uh, but the company recovered. Does uh, Coca-Cola have to have a Coca-Cola Monday? Um, I'm not sure I completely uh, but see the parallel, uh, but, but absolutely what is true is that every business, every business, uh, whether they're seeing growth the same or big declines in this new normal, uh, is going to have to think profoundly about what is going to reassert itself as the same as before, what is going to reassert itself that is new, and how do you get uh, through the coming quarters that are going to be very different. Uh, and we are the same. We we absolutely are looking at how we do our marketing, how we do our innovation, how we do uh, our, our pricing and packaging, and how we execute with our bottlers uh, in the customer spaces uh, to, to drive the business. Right, the well, Coca-Cola system has a lot of experience in crises over 134 years. And and a used example of the Spanish, the Spanish flu, we have emerged from every crisis with a military, economic, all pandemic, and we've always been stronger afterwards when we worked for because the, the crisis management is in the DNA and, and because we reconsider everything to make sure we not just manage the day-to-day, but emerge stronger from the crisis. And there's no doubt about it that you've got the best models. And you're right, the Marble Friday was really against the generics. But what I'm thinking about is, is that if we have the kind of, let's say we have 30 million people unemployed, uh, they may actually trade down to some Coca-Cola equivalent that you and I would never drink. And you, you know I'm a Coke Zero fan. 
I have never thought about going to a generic zero fan. Uh, but maybe something happens with 30 million people unemployed. Maybe they say, I don't need branded. Could that happen? What we will definitively see is a lot of people with a, a lot less disposable income, and they will be more conscious of the price points that they spend their money at. And we as, we as a business system must respond uh, with price points that are more accessible for them. But we have a long history of doing so. And in certain parts of the world, that's going to mean a big push on refillable PET bottles because um, you can get the price points down lower. Uh, we're going to look at small, smaller multi-packs, smaller packing. You know, we have to offer them the price points that are accessible to them. And, and you're absolutely right. There are going to be people with less money. And we will be more dedicated to making sure they have a Coca-Cola option uh, that's right for them. Right. Let's talk about dividends. A lot of people who uh, watch Mad Money, they watch it to find out what dividends I say are solid. Uh, here we got a severe test of Coca-Cola in months of April and, and March. Anything there that would make you feel like that, you know what, I've got to go to my board and say, hey, maybe we're paying too much of a dividend? Um, we are focused on, you know, managing the business and we have very clear, uh, a hierarchy of priorities, both in, you know, on every dimension, whether it's, you know, in trying to get job security. That's why, you know, we haven't done that big layoffs and the people we furloughed, we've pa- we furloughed on full pay. Uh, and so we have very clear that priority. Similarly, uh, with the, with, with the shareholders, we have very clear, uh, the, div- the, the importance of the dividends. Uh, relative to the share buybacks, we basically pulled out of doing share buybacks. We said we don't see much M and A coming. Uh, we understand the priority the shareholders uh, put on the dividend. Uh, of course, we're we're continuing to invest sensibly uh, in the ongoing business. So, for each stakeholder in the business, we have a very clear sense of prioritization of what's important to each group, uh, and we are going to manage through uh, the quarters uh, with a view to the long term and emerging stronger and making sure we, we, we do what's right for each of the stakeholder groups. James, just trying to figure out consumer behavior, and you guys have such a good handle on it. You know, your home state, or Coca-Cola's home state of Georgia, has pretty ambitious plans to start reopening its economy on Friday for beauty salons and fitness centers and, and gyms and, and salons. On Monday, they're going to reopen movie theaters and restaurants. Do you think consumers will come? I think that you, you look, as you see, look at the reopenings, whether it's the one that's coming up in Georgia or some of the ones that have happened in Europe or all the way over to China, Singapore, uh, Japan and South Korea. Uh, we have been able to draw on our experience of what happens in each of those places. Clearly, you see there are groups of consumers uh, that when the, when the door is open, they'll come and re-engage with the world uh, uh, on, on, on those terms. Uh, there'll be some that will be more cautious. Then there are some that are going to, you know, have less uh, less going to channels and locations where you congregate until they see more clearly the viruses uh, the viruses dissipated. Um, so absolutely, I have no expectation there's going to be a snap uh, back to normal uh, on Friday or Monday morning. Um, each each part of the world is trying to find a path to reopening, whether it's the the program that Georgia has or it's, you know, what Germany and Austria have uh, or what China and South Korea and Singapore, each, each place is trying to find a way to have a phased, gradual reopening 
uh, such that people can start to reactivate the economy without letting the virus take off. But there's no guarantee, and I think it's going to have to be done phased and with yeah. thought and effort, because you can already see you know, Japan and Singapore have had to re-increase the level of lockdown uh, to contain um, uh, the virus again because uh, they've had slight uptick. So we, I think you'll see people be cautious because it'll be phased and there'll be some worries about secondary upticks. Is China really open for business as usual? What does it look like there? Uh, within China, I mean, there are, there are restrictions on traveling in and out, but within, within, the, within China, the business has, has largely stabilized. We were doing great in January, good growth, really down uh, in February, and then volatile but slowly stabilizing through March, and it's kind of coming back uh, through neutral uh, into, into April. Uh, so it's it's stabilized. The, the country is open for business. We're doing similar amounts to we were uh, last year. We don't haven't recovered the levels of growth rate that we had before, but it is largely open, at least for the products that we're selling. Wanted to also ask you about raw material costs. I mean, we've seen this crazy drop in the price of oil and really across the board. Are you able to take advantage of that to lock any of those prices in now so that it will help you later managing cost? Wow, I wish I could lock in that uh, crazy oil price uh, forever. But uh, look, uh, you know, we, we have a very uh, effective uh, uh, central procurement team that work for us and the bottling system uh, and have done a great job in managing both the availability of commodities and capturing the benefit of price increases. Of course, we don't use oil directly. We largely use it to convert uh, uh, into resin. That's our biggest use of the oil. But whether it's oil... Uh, or any of the other commodities, to the extent we've been able uh, to capture the benefit of these low prices, we'll, we, we bring it into our hedging and as, as, do the big, as do the bottling system. How are the bottling, bottling plants doing? Are, are they all open? Do they have the raw materials and the, the supply chains they need? And could you ever envision a situation where, where you'd have to essentially bail them out if they do run into some financial trouble? Virtually all of the bottling plants around the world are, are operational. Um, they can get the, the raw materials and the ingredients they need. Uh, the distribution systems are, are open. Uh, so the, the, we can supply the customers that are there. So that all the bottlers are operational. <clears throat> Excuse me, obviously it depends exactly which your country, but all of the bottlers uh, are essentially uh, operational. Uh, and we've come into this crisis uh, with a super strong uh, set of bottlers. We spend a lot of time over the last number of years strengthening the bottling system. Half of it is in the hands of big public companies. They have strong, uh, well-capitalized balance sheet, good liquidity positions. So they're coming into this crisis with a great financial position and really strong uh, executional capabilities in the marketplace. So I think they're in a really good place. Um, and the other half of the system is small and medium-sized bottlers. Uh, and, 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 and you know, the vast majority of them are in a good place. Um, uh, and we'll work with uh, over the course of this crisis, especially if it lasts uh, some extended period of time, if there are any issues in the system. But absolutely, the starting point is we're in a really good place. James Quincy, thank you for your time walking us through thank these you. results and what you're seeing out there. The CEO and chairman of Coca-Cola, Carl, with a big rebound in the stock through the course of that interview, now down only less than 1%. I think it was down more than 3% when we started. 
Uh, Sarah, thanks for bringing it to us. We'll see you in a couple minutes. Uh, Jim, as uh, we were talking to James, uh, the president tweets, we will never let the great U.S. oil and gas industry down. I've instructed the Secretary of Energy and Treasury to formulate a plan which will make funds available so that these very important companies and jobs will be secured long into the future. Uh, we'll see if that makes uh, any difference on uh, any oil-related names. I know that the Texas Railroad Commission is going to vote today on uh, quotas from different producers, but again, that's not going to be enough. Uh, the oil people I speak to are saying, short of the government paying these companies not to produce, uh, it, it's going to be a very hard time to try to get this to stop. I mean, look, you could be creative and say the government should go in and just burst into the USO uh, and take that up. And the only reason I say that could work is because so far no one understands how that thing's working anyway. But uh, the, it, COVID is the reason. It, it's not Saudis. It's not Russians. And the president tried to make a deal. But the supply is just not needed. And you do need to have these companies stop pumping. But we know some of the wells, if they stop pumping, uh, don't come back online. And we also know that the companies are addicted to producing oil. Uh, the late Aubrey McClendon, I like to refer to him because he used to run Chesapeake because he always said, look, I'm an oil person. And all I know is to produce oil. Uh, and I said, well, how about if the price is down? He goes, well, produce oil. Uh, I, that's what you do. And I think that's the attitude of a lot of the oil people. A lot of the oil uh, men and women we have come on the show, they're very optimistic at all times about pricing. And their optimism is really betraying them right here. Really betraying them. Yeah. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. The other uh, piece of news we're getting uh, from our Eamon Jabbers on Twitter is that we might get an announcement on an expansion to PPP this morning. Let's get to Eamon right now. Morning, Eamon. Yeah, good morning, Carl. A senior administration official telling me just a few moments ago uh, that they do think they're wrapping up a deal here and expect an announcement soon, quote unquote, uh, for a PPP deal. Remember, we're talking about an additional $300 plus billion for that small business loan program that proved so popular. The question is, uh, how quickly will that funding run out. Larry Kudlow said this week that he expects that this program will go like hotcakes. The first round went like hotcakes and the second round will too. So uh, they might have to do even more than this. But the senior administration official telling me that they're just hammering out some language now on uh, testing. Remember, Democrats had wanted a sort of a national testing strategy. Republicans were pushing for more of a state by state approach for virus testing. There's also in this deal reportedly now, we haven't seen final terms yet, but reportedly uh, 75 billion dollars for hospitals, 25 billion dollars in funding for that testing, and then uh, 60 billion dollars for small business disaster relief. So a lot of money coming uh, for small businesses. This clears the way now uh, if they do announce a deal for the Senate uh, to presumably go first in terms of a unanimous consent uh, measure on the Senate floor. The House, though, is going to struggle. They're going to have to bring back uh, members of Congress from all across the country in order to vote on this because they do not think they'll be able to get unanimous consent. And so the House is going to be working on that throughout the week, presumably, if they get this deal announcement, as now a senior administration official tells me they expect soon. Carl, back over to you. Okay, Eamon, uh, we'll watch uh, all of that. Uh, Jim, I guess let the testing element here, uh, you've been this morning, you were saying uh, Georgia deserves to take a shot. How important is a national testing strategy to you right now? No, I, I think we just have to take our cue from Governor Kemp. We have to just see how he does. I think that uh, 
if he, we can spring into action if this works. Again, I'm, I'm urging people to not think about this politically and think about much more about the people who are losing their jobs, going on the equivalent of bread lines in the 30s. Uh, the, what you don't want is social unrest. And I know that seems like, well, we're a great country. That can't happen. I disagree with that. I think that if you have 30, 35 million unemployed and they're looking for something to do, it doesn't necessarily end well. So I I actually think I'm not going to say I applaud the governor because I wouldn't have done it in this style. And I certainly wouldn't have opened it with these businesses. But things are we're a little bit better in terms of handling what's going to go on. And if it works for him and we know what the baselines are and we do have the right uh, and we have the hospitals that can handle it. Well, that gives us a a way to uh, trace things out. By the way, I thought that James Quincy gave you a way to trace things out, too. So I'm not optimistic, Carl, but I am a realist. And I think one realistic way to do it is have a state uh, that is uh, got a very good mixture of rural and urban uh, to to put Mm -hmm. it all out there. So I don't know. I mean, the the hatred for this guy, I think, is very political. I mean, he's trying to figure it out like the rest of us. Right. I mean, uh, obviously, uh it's not going to be perfect, but Jim, but daily new cases in the U.S. are down by a third from the peak 10 days ago. Right. Now, that's not to say it's not going to resurge, but at some point you have to ask, if not now, when, yes, right? If the, if the trend it. continues like this. That's it. I think you have to say, OK, we're we're over the hump. We can continue to stay hunkered down. But the consequences is so great for the middle class. And let's just you know, be look, I've got a job and I have a contract. So you could argue anyone with a job and a contract just simply has no idea what the people are doing. But I also own a restaurant. And believe me, there are people every day who say, boy, I wish he had gotten that contract. I wish he had gotten that PPP. I mean, what's he going to do? Is he going to decide tomorrow what closes? There are a lot of people trying to decide whether to right. close. We've got to take that off the table. Right. Uh, Jim, as for tonight, Netflix, Texan, what's going to be interesting and um, – I mean, whisper numbers on Netflix subs are in the double digits, right? So how much can they do that would still impress? Uh, You know, when you put it on, you get that uh, Tiger King. It's like, geez, I think people really love that. But I I don't think there is a number. I think that there are people who are committed to this company. We've got what we call transom buyers, mutual funds that come in and just buy the same stock over and over again. I don't think there's anything in their quarter that they announce will will deter them from continuing to buy. Texas Instruments, we have to hear a little read through to to cell phone, a little read through, unfortunately, to auto, some read through to the uh, Internet of Things. It is a very good company. People sell it a lot after the quarter and they regret it. That could happen again. Take a look at AMD. How many times has that been sold after the quarter and people truly regret that? So we're in a in uncharted waters. Don't let oil influence you too much because there are some financial sh- shenanigans. But understand that when a Coca-Cola comes back, that's because there's value. And I, I think that some of the younger people, I'm going to talk about this tonight, uh, who use Robinhood are buying the Disney's. Uh, they're buying the carnivals. They're taking a 10-year perspective. And if you take a 10-year perspective from Coca-Cola, you, you've really done quite well. All right, Jim. Uh, what is on Mad tonight? I have Puritan on tonight. Now, Puritan's a private company. But Puritan makes the swabs. The president said uh, this weekend that they're – at one point he said last week that they're cotton swabs. And then he put out another swab on one of the shows he put on this weekend and had a regular Q-tip next to it. They're not the same. Puritan makes them, and they were in very high demand. 
president said they're readily available. I'd like to know, are they readily available? Because if they are, I, I'm swabbing because I'd like to see my wife and I'll send her some swabs and she can jam it up her nose to her brain, whatever they tell you to do. <laughs> it, I prefer to be a little more. Maybe that's not subtle enough. But wouldn't it be great? You just jam it up, find out how you're doing and go see your wife. Let's just do it. Yeah. Do some jamming. Uh, we going to be there eventually, Jim. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.